Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, I'm Susan Shereko. Welcome. Today, we're speaking with Calvin Kerr, who is author of the book Hard Head City, which is really short stories collected in one volume based on true events. So let's take a look at how he has woven his short stories together for our benefit. Welcome, Calvin. Okay, thank you for welcoming me. I'm glad to do it. Calvin, how do you describe your book? I describe my book as successful, very successful, and life-telling events. And they're told in short stories? They're told in short stories. In my first book, which is called Hardhead City, there are eight short stories. Hardhead City... Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, are they are they uh, are these stories in the order of their occurrence in your life? There are stories. It may vary in different aspects of my life. Okay, so so why don't you tell us? You know, why don't you tell us about them? I think the first one is Black Mondays, and and uh, that has an autobiographical ring to it. Yes, that's. Probably one of the first stories from events in my life. Black Mondays is a story of a boy's journey of seeing signs stating for whites only while growing up in Memphis to seeing both inaugurations of President Obama and Martin Luther King memorial dedication. Wow, that was a that was an interesting time back in the '60s, in the South. Um, were you able to see? Was there a a Poor People's March somewhere in that time frame? Yes, it was the the march on City Hall for the sanitation workers. Oh, Martin Luther King okay. came to the city to lead that march on City Hall. Aha. Uh-huh, okay. So so that made a visible impression on you as a young boy? Yes, it did, because there were riots in the city, as well as our little, I would say, resistance to what we felt was injustice or discrimination. Mm-hmm. We, we had our love, I say, the best word, or lack of a better word, I would say, our rebellion, and we called it Black Monday. Okay. Black Monday meant Monday. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Black Mondays meant that we were not going to participate in school during those Mondays after Black Monday. Oh Monday's wow! Death. <laughs> well, that at least it had a theme to it. <laughs> now the next. The next story is about women in some way. It's called Change to um, 
And I don't have the last two words. It's changed to Ch the chain. It's changed like you're changed to something like uh -huh. you changed to, to the right. port. Okay. Change to chain the port. Chain to the port. Mm-hmm. Like the chain, chain to the port. Okay. And it is a woman's demise from a child to an adult. It's, it's play, it talks about a woman going from being like almost chained to the porch by her parent, her father, and then becoming chained to the porch by her husband and describes the struggles that she went through and the beatings that she took. Mm. So there's a little uh, abuse involved there? It's, it's abuse from mm -hmm. the parent and then from the husband. Oh, very sad. Um, mm -hmm. And is it is it your observation of someone else that that you've captured in the short story? It is the story is told by the individual that it happened to mm -hmm. and her sister. And you, you're the one who commemorated it to paper, but she, she told you the story, so that's where it comes from original. Yes, ma'am. She told me the story, mm -hmm. so I took the story, and I would visualize how how to write the story coming from her word. So mm -hmm. I called it Chain to the Porch. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. Okay, Chain to the Porch. Okay. Now, how does Whose Life Is It Anyway... Uh, capture your experience as an army drill instructor, because you come from you. You spent your career in the military. Yes, ma'am. Most of my career was in the military or working with the military. And this particular story is about one of my privates, a female private, specifically. What happened is that during the training, you try so hard to get everybody in your company or platoon to pass through basic training. And in the end, when this particular person tried to commit suicide just to get out of uh, joining the military, after you worked so hard to try to get her trained and get her to accomplish something, mm. in her life she had never finished high school and my thing was to get her to at least get a high school education while she was in the military once she got in. And so she could go from there, continue on to college, for the rest, you know, to improve her life. But in the end, when she tried to make the suicide attempt, she knew that she would be eliminated from participating mm in basic training and therefore she could not continue the training. And that's tragic. Yes, it was tragic, but I spent a lot of time and I was trying to motivate her and mold her to do something for herself. You know, this mm -hmm. is something that I took it a personal for everyone in my platoon or company to graduate from basic so they can go on with get education in the army and do better. Now that's that 
role of, of being a drill instructor or in, or in charge of a platoon like that. Um, you, when we talked originally, you told me a very interesting story about the, um, the, the discrimination you ran into when you were leading these platoons. And one in particular, uh, I think you were being written up for being late for chow, but the, the circumstances are far different from just being late for chow. Would you share that story with us? Yes, yes, ma'am. The discrimination comes with the, uh, me being probably the highest rank in that particular company. I was an E7. Everybody else were below my rank. Therefore, and I was black. Therefore, in every aspect of training, they were trying to belittle me as we would run PT. I would call the cadence. Nobody would relieve me. Now I'm tired. And at the end, you know, I'm just, just exhausted. Then we go on training like we went on bivouac. They would put me all the way in the back of the woods on top of it here, all the way far back with, with those 50 females. And they would put their little buttons right on the hill side where they could walk right down to the area of operation. But I had to cut through woods to get to the, the breakfast that we would set up. I was deep in the woods and it was dark. And I had to leave the girls out, females out, which made me late for child. And then at the end of that training, we had to do a 13-mile road march, whereby one of my females got hurt. So I had to put her on the aid truck with one of my assistant drill instructors. Therefore, I'm there with 49 females walking 13 miles, trying to make them keep up. And they're crying, and I'm by myself. And I'm, and by the time I get back to the barracks, I'm very anguished. But when I got to the barracks, the company commander, which was a female, wanted to write me up for being late for chat. She asked me to come down there, but I told her to wait. I'd be down in a minute once I finished checking my female soldiers out. I had to check their feet and make sure everybody was healthy. But the, she sent a messenger up to tell me, but I told the messenger to tell her what I just told you. So, Instead of uh, her waiting, she sent the message up again and told me to, to get down there and get down there now. And I told her when I finish checking my female soldiers out, I will come down there. That's not more important than me checking my female soldiers out, what you have to say to me. So she ran up, up in, into my office, and right there I just had to close the door and let her know what the procedures for coming off of a bivouac and 13-mile road march, you need to check your soldiers out first. So she wrote me up for being late for child. You know, that's all she wanted after mm -hmm. I went down there. Yeah. And that was brought about my letter in writing up the whole company up for, what, for the things that they were doing to me throughout the whole drill sergeant cycle or drill mm -hmm. cycle. And also calling out a lack of leadership. A lack of leadership. Of. Mm -hmm. Because I wrote, I wrote her up because I didn't think that she was displaying the 
the leadership that she should be as a commanding officer in the United States Army. Interesting. This is, I think this discrimination issue comes up a few times in your life, but, but the next book, um, the next chapter uh, or story is called Hard Head City, and, uh, which is the same t- title as the name of the book. Uh, what's significant about Hard Head City as a story? Well, Hard Head City, first, it, it is the feature story because it, it takes place in Baltimore City. It, when I became the Army instructor in Baltimore City and was in charge of building a junior ROTC program at that location. The, the, the name of the school was called Harbor City Learning Center. But the kids, they were so hard-headed that I would call it Hardhead City. <laughs> so it was this uh, training those kids to be better citizens, better American citizens. Because they had, had, most of them didn't have a father figure or mother figure to to teach them that it's all right to, to be good to each other. It's all right to like each other. It's all right to encourage each other. And that's what I felt that I had to build confidence in them, had to build, train them in a way to make it okay, so they, they can see that it's okay to love each other. It's okay to get along or talk things out between each other. And that was in the inner city. They had got kicked, all these kids had got kicked out of all the regular schools. So it's an alternative school. And also mm-hmm. I was the basketball coach there that coached the basketball team. So a bit of my drill sergeant experience was, <laughs> it came in handy. <laughs> was, was displayed in my coaching method. I would make a big push before they touch the basketball. I'd make them run a mile, you know, either before or during after the push-ups. And uh, we they got along with me after that because it's. I think they considered a tough love after a while. They felt the physical fitness and feeling better about themselves. And we were winning basketball games. We went under, I went undefeated one season with them. And it, it also brought the, the school a bit of esprit de corps togetherness in the school system. Now, the next story in the book is two days. And that has a similar kind of theme in the sense of getting along and communicating with with people. What is that story about? It's called Two Dan's, like two brothers with the same name. Mm-hmm. Like, and it is a split family situation. Just imagine you being a child and, and all the time there is another family outside of your home. You never suspected that one day someone will come in to your home, your mother has moved out, and the whole set of family comes into your home where you're used to just having your sisters and brothers, your immediate sisters and brothers, and now we're in a different family environment. And the insight was 
there's two brothers with the same name, Dan one and Dan two. Well. <laughs> so, and that it was brought about a very, very volatile situation. It was just my sister's crying and the mother had left. And it was just a, a, a hurtful situation. So I call it two days, but it's a, it's much more involved in the story than just mentioning those items that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's, but it's a family, it's a family story. Yes, it's a family story, but it's a lot of trauma. And a lot of trauma. <laughs> it's just the things that went on, in the, <laughs> that goes on in the story. <laughs> Okay, so then the next story is Three Outs and a Cot, and that one is kind of fun. Um, it has a theme that goes through it in the sense that you've been involved with dental treatment facilities and treatment yeah. for people for a while. Um, what was uh, what was that about? Okay, this, this is the Leavenworth story where I was the I was in charge of a dental treatment facility inside the prison at Leavenworth. Hmm. Therefore, I had to read the records of uh, the inmates that I wanted to work for me. Going through the records of trial, I would pick the inmates that I wanted to work. However, I knew this one inmate. I let him work for me. And then I would ask, I asked him one day after I read his record of trial, why would you try to make another man, you know, do something very, un, I would say, for lack of a better word, human, <laughs> humane, inhumane, I would say. Mm -hmm. And he said, because the person was a punk, I said, what does that make you, if you want another man, to do that to you, what do you think you are? He said it because the person was a punk. I said, what, what, what does that make you? What do you think that makes you? And how can you make another man do that to you anyway, if you're not a punk? And he said that, uh, I said, now, you know, you're spending time in prison just for doing that. But he told me that he gets like three meals. He gets a chance to purchase things from a little store that they have in the prison. And he has a cop. So he gets three hots and a cop. And he, I think that he's so dissatisfied with, be, uh, with that, with being in that situation. Mm. So I call it three hops and a cop. However, it's more to the story than just the three hops and a cop. It's the, the procedures that I had to do with those inmates and also all the other things that occurred in the disciplinary barracks at Fort Leavenworth. Mm -hmm. And it's, another it's, thing with that, the so one more thing, mm -hmm. then I'm going to leave it alone, is also at Leavenworth, they would have a line coming from the prison in Germany all the way from the gate 
all the way like a, almost a half a mile long, and it, and it consisted of black men from like 18 to 30 something. And it just also, it was just the, the, the many black people in that line versus the white people in the line. Mm. Mm. And I, I, and to me, it was, uh, they were in there for minor offenses such as being insubordinate, talking mm -hmm. back, or mm -hmm. things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was like we had a racial disturbance throughout the country. And I, think, and I felt that a lot of us being in the military were being more d discriminated against because we were black and they didn't know how to handle us. You know, I mean, it's okay if we're doing something that we, you felt or that is wrong, but just don't just take away from our rights because you don't like us, you're discriminating against us. I know, you know, that, when, as you're telling that story, it reminds me of, um, the, the Civil War movie, Glory, and how, you know, when, when, when the blacks wanted to be fighting, um, in the, in the service and how hard it was for them to get recognition to do that. And it sounds as if there's still some of that within, um, the operation of the army to this day. Yes, it is because it's, it's a scene is so that, you know, we had to work hard. I had to work harder. And not just me, but other soldiers that I came in contact with or were under my purview or that led me. It just seemed that we had to work hard. And we was, was not getting our rank in a town of man. And it's just because of when you get have bad leadership, things like that happen, and I have had some bad leadership in throughout my military life and also throughout my life as a um, instructor and as a uh, resident hygienist. Mm -hmm. um, so that that story captures that. Um, there's another one. Uh, a couple other places you had dental clinics. I think you said, uh, or or at least you visited the clinics in Fort Bragg and also in the DMZ. You know, in the in the jungle, not in the DMZ, but in Panama. I think it is. You so were Panama is a different Panama mm -hmm. is a different story. It's not. I, I, I was not in Delaware at the time. No, that story. I was an infantry scout in in Panama. Mm -hmm. And the there was a lot of tension in Panama. I had to repel into the jungles and backpack ammunition. I would backpack Panamanians that attacked ammunition bunkers. Let me, let me get that straight. That was one of the things that I had to do as well as more discrimination, had to face more discrimination because they were always putting me uh, to doing the dirty work. You know, come through the jungles and lean people through the jungles and get them up to the jungle on this one hill specifically where we could see all of Panama. But 
and also they would just, you can just see the discrimination of how they treated the white soldier or how they treated me. And there was also a lot of uh, drugs and different things going on. Mm -hmm. And this story just shows how one of the guys just <laughs> during that time. So he's going to be thrown in jail. And it talks, okay, it says, it talks about a soldier's escape from Panama. Mm hmm right. So then, now this is all sort of Vietnam era stuff. You made an interesting comment that everywhere, every time they put you in a place, they wound up putting you in charge regardless of your rank. So that you might be a much lower rank than somebody else who was there, but they put you in charge over that person. Yes. As in, um, as a level worker, so let's, let's back up. When I was down in Fort McClellan, Alabama, although we had East about this, they were the same rank as that was, but I was different. I went there to be, to be a drill sergeant with them. You know, I don't know why they sent me there because I was different at the time. But they had these seven that outranked me. <laughs> they put me in charge of a chemical decontamination exercise. And I wasn't chemical, but I, they, they made me do it anyway. And also in down at uh, Fort Hood, I would run dental clinics when they had East seven that outranked me at the chair working, and I'm in charge of the dental clinic. So but in every aspect of my career, I would be in charge of things uh, to the next level, such as at Fort, at Fort Dix, I was in charge. I was in a sergeant major slot, even though I was the first sergeant. And I was, had to prepare units for desert storm. I had to make sure that all, anything that can, that can, uh, was pertaining to dental, all that dental work and everything was taken care of before they could move out. I had to get them dental ready to move out to set a storm. But I was only uh, E8 in the in E9 position. But I got my unit, an Army Superior Unit Award for Delta Storm. And as well as after that venture, they would move me from there down to Fort Meade, where I took over another <laughs> test as an E8 and E9 position. And, you know, had to rebuild PT programs and just different aspects of the dental activities. They call it dental activities at the time. So now I'm already experienced because I did the job at Fort Dix. So I moved to Fort Meade, they moved to from, like, Dentech to Dentech or from uh, clinic to clinic at all times. Or just moving from infantry to being on the uh, DMZ in, in Korea or the jungles of Panama. So if all, if all that thing of my life is always was in charge of things when they had other people that outrank me. Mm. That has to be frustrating. It's, 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 I mean, it's, I mean, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, to me, it sounds like it would be frustrating. I don't know. Maybe it isn't frustrating to you because there's also that recognition that you're capable and um, and good at what you do. Well, you, it's, it's like, I would say, after they moved, I was really kind of mad at uh, when I was at, in, down in Texas at Fort Hood because I went mm-hmm. from one clinic as an assistant, uh, as an assistant, let's say, dental, dental person running the clinic as an assistant manager mm-hmm. to another clinic where I was a manager and then to another clinic which is a sub-nature than a clinic in the same year. And all this time the IT was taking place, was getting ready to take place. So I cleaned up one clinic <laughs> then here uh, Betty came up and said, you have to move because uh, this other soldier that was running the self-nature and then they wanted to get uh, some surgery done, some elective surgery now. Now I'm cleaned up the first clinic, now I'm over in my second clinic. Got that cleaner ready, IG ready, IG inspection ready. Then they want to move into another clinic, which was the self-nature clinic. Now this has a lot of problems there, so I had to clean that clinic up in two weeks for the IG. Mm. But it's a, see, it's a challenge to me because when I do something, I always try to be the best of what I do. And also I read and I know the regulations so I can know the rules and the regulations. And also I would know the standards for all of these, let's say federal regulations, army regulations, read all those regulations so that when it's time for inspections or things that um, is pertinent to the unit, I, I'm already up on it. <laughs> I'm already, already foresee what they may ask or what they're going to look for. So I have my clinic and my personnel ready, you know, inspection ready. So, uh, when, they, so when they inspect, there's nothing left. All, right, all I do is just look and sit back and ready. Go ahead. Try to get me on this. I already got that. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Right, right. So you have, you're anticipating where they're going to be looking, and that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. But you got to know the rules and the regulations and the laws in order to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you, I think, uh, I guess you're retired from the military now. I mean, technically. Yes, I'm retired from the uh, military. Also retired from the Maryland public school system as an army instructor. Mm-hmm. And also, I resigned as the RDH down at Fort. I just resigned a couple of years ago from uh, Fort Brad as the um, RDH. Now, are you? When, but but are you actually retired? I mean, I get I got the impression that you're very active in all these things still as a civilian. Well, I'm retired, but also uh, I keep in touch with my Toastmaster. I also was a Toastmaster, you know, down at uh, Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. And also I do formal work with my niece sometimes, and she wants me to have her with us 
truck trucking company. You know, just a little sad thing, but also continue to produce videos on YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel. I have about 40, 47 videos on YouTube. They're not terrific videos, but they're educational, inspirational, and just fun videos to listen to. If people don't like to read, they can look at the video. Just like that's, I have something. That's really awesome because a lot of people don't read anymore. They like mm -hmm. audio or they like video. So if you're creating little videos for them, that, that can be a great gift for everybody. And, and they don't have to pay for them. Okay, one of the uh, topics in one of my videos is, is, is called uh, Juneteenth. So it's kind of educate people that don't know about Juneteenth what Juneteenth actually was about. Another one that people have really given me his phone is, uh, where do we go? We're running out of planets. Where do we go? <laughs> <You know>? we go. <laughs> We're running out of planets. And also, I give you a bit of, it describes each planet and why we can't go there. Oh, okay. It's educational. I think kids. Mm -hmm. Teenagers and adults will get kicked out of it because it describes each planet <laughs> and the reasons why we cannot we do that. Atmospherically <laughs> or just, you know, they just, you cannot survive there. So it's like we're being pushed off of Earth, <laughs> but we're running out of planets. Where do we go? <laughs> I do, I do. I bet they really relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff you put up on YouTube. That's that's a neat hobby to have, to be creating that many videos. Um, I have my own are, you think, are you thinking about doing a movie too? Well, well, the people have talked to me about if I did movies, it would be like short stories, short movies, short films. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Each each um, story has a plot and themes of their own. So it would be like canvassed over a title like Hardhead City or Can I Get a Light? And my last book is called, which I haven't published yet, is um, it's called States of Mind. And it's uh -huh. all my pros from the sixties. All all my pros from the sixties up to to date to this to this day. And it's a lot of them are in my videos. But it's all I would start writing from the sixties all the way up to now. About events that occurred in our country or history. To something always just came to me, this is this I need to write this stuff. I need to do that in prose. So I write in prose mm. to make it fun to, for people to um, read and listen to. Interesting. So you are, um, that one's still in progress, right? It's in progress, but my second book, which is called Brother Can I Get a Light? No, it's called Can I Get a Light? The feature story in that book is called Brother Can I Get a Light? That one should be on the market like now because I have since the last in and did all the approval and 
paid them the money to get it published. So I'm just mm -hmm. waiting on it to come out before I start on publishing my third book, which is all the pros and a lot of the videos showcases what's it's in that book. And that one was called States of Mind, like States of Mind, kind of like States of Mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they're on their way. But Hardhead yeah. City is already available. Where is where will people find it? They can find it, find it on Amazon. Matter of fact, if they go to my office spot, like Calvin Curry Jr. owns, then the Calvin Curry Jr. had it written down. It's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Or Hollywood mm -hmm. Spotlight. Hollywood Spotlight. Uh, Calvin Curry Jr. Hollywood Spotlight, Calvin Kerr Jr.? Yes, Arthur Spotlight, okay. Calvin Kerr Jr. I'm sorry, Arthur Spotlight, Calvin Kerr Jr. I'm not familiar with that site. I have to look that up. And it's so, and, and is that like a promotional site? It's a promotional site. Mm -hmm. But my books are on Amazon. If you just okay. Google Amazon, Calvin Kerr Jr. on Amazon. You're able to get to those uh, books, but the one and you do, you do a lot of uh, word of mouth promotion. Most of my promotions are word of mouth. People, when I tell them about the videos or the book, they just write it down real quick and go right to the site and also go buy the book if they want to. They do that. Mm -hmm. I don't force anyone to do anything. I just put it out there. They do it. They do it. They don't. They don't. They just it's a hobby. However, if I you know, begin to make a few bucks out of it, then I would do more and also I would provide people more with more, uh, I would say, things that they need to, to improve their lives. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It is, uh, I think all of us would feel better if we got paid for what we're doing with our writing. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is a gift we wind up giving, you know. So. It's a gift, the gift of giving, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it is absolutely. It doesn't mean we like it. <laughs> but most people that read my book, one, a lot of people say the book "Hardhead Citizens" just a, a, a page-turning book. <laughs> I mean, from one thing to another, it's very, you know, it's I would say catching. You know, mm -hmm. you're supposed to start reading. You actually, just eight short stories so you can read one. Put the book down. You want to, you want to read another? You can read. You have to just read the whole book at one time. So that's yeah. why I write short stories because people, uh, a lot of people like short stories. Right, and you don't have to. You you can put it down and come back because you've completed the short story. So that's mm -hmm. that is convenient for a lot of people who are just grabbing a few minutes to read. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Calvin, thank you so much for coming and talking with us about your book and your life. Um, I'd like to remind our listeners that we're talking with Calvin Kerr about his book, Hardhead City, which is available on Amazon. And I want to thank you again, Calvin, for writing these stories and for all the care that you have given to other people throughout your work. You have It's, it's almost as if it's your mission to be of service. Well, thank you, and I thank you for interviewing me. And I know that uh, I was a little bit iffy at times, but this was a straight interview with no rehearsal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
that's how we do them. <laughs> and it's perfectly fine. So, But anyway, thank you very much, Calvin. It was fun. It was fun to talk. So. Well, that's a wrap. That's a wrap for today, everyone. Bye for now and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.